Now, this is hard for me to say because I know that people listening right now, even some, you know, some of your listeners are going to be like, oh, my God, I can't go that far. And right. I get it. Sure. Honestly, yeah. I don't want to go that far. I'd prefer not to say that out loud, but I'm saying it out loud as it is. Um, but as someone who still believes and has faith in something, um, you know, but it was, you know, like men and should be married and children should listen to their, you know, and wives be obedient, you know, all yeah. these different and, you know, it went from like Paul saying like, it's better not to get married and Paul and Jesus saying that and Paul saying there is neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, slave nor free to all of a sudden be like, oh, there's a hierarchy now in the church. Mm. So I was like, wait a second. We got rid of all the hierarchy, social value um, to the point where you're saying there's neither Jew nor Gentile, which is much bigger than being, you know, an apostle or a pastor or a prophet, you know, mm. and now all of a sudden your 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 letter later letters you're saying you know and I've had people argue like well Paul just became more mature in his Christianity I'm like oh really that's that's it right that's um, the answer <laughs> yeah um, but to me it it, uh, it it became kind of clear that it, it seemed to be someone who was not as comfortable with the inclusion that Paul wrote about. Hey everybody, welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn, and this is episode number 106, and we're not really in a series right now. Uh, we're just calling like, I don't know, it's like summertime, you know, July, August, uh, random conversations with wonderful people about important topics. Uh, last week we talked to Father James Martin, who is a Jesuit priest in the Catholic Church, and uh, today we're gonna we're gonna kick some hornets' nests with uh, Mr. Jay Baker. Jay Baker is the son of Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. If you don't know who they are, just go to the Google machine and uh, pump it in there and check it out. But he'll talk a little bit about his upbringing and his life um, in the episode. But I'm really excited to share this episode with you. Um, he's somebody who was on my list of people who I really wanted to talk to, but didn't think I ever would. And it happened, and we had a great conversation about faith and doubt and uh, crossing uh, uncrossable and forbidden boundaries. So uh, we're going to have some fun in this episode uh, with Jay, and we'll get to that in a few moments. Uh, a couple things. did you, Are you a baseball fan by any chance? Like, do you guys watch baseball? I'm a huge, huge, huge Yankee fan. Uh, baseball is my life. <laughs> I, I grew up watching baseball. Uh, 1993, I went to my first Yankee game and uh, became diehard. You know, I saw Don Mattingly jack a home run over the right field fence, and uh, I was just sold ever since. Um, I've got Don Mattingly's autograph hanging on my wall right next to my desk. Um, Derek Jeter. All the players, uh, I'm just a huge fan. But anyway, baseball was going to be canceled this year because of COVID. Now they're going to be doing like a 60-game season. And they, it's like crazy. There are going to be no fans. Players are going to be sitting in the stands where the fans usually sit, uh, six feet apart. There's no high-fiving. There's no spitting allowed. There's no fights allowed, no brawls, no bench-clearing brawls. I don't, I don't know. This is going to be a really weird season Players are getting tested like every day, and some of the players already have COVID. So I don't, I don't know what's going on, but apparently it starts in two weeks, and they're going to see how, how long they can go. So I'm kind of excited, but kind of not excited at the same time. But I don't know. That's just something that's distracting me, I guess, in the midst of all of the other things going on 
in the world. So uh, baseball is is on its way back. Uh, but anyway, so a few. Th- I don't know why I just talked to you about that, but I did. So anyway, a few things uh, before we hit play on the conversation with Jay. Uh, number one, Patreon, patreon.com slash whatifproject is a place where you can go to support the show financially. So if this has encouraged you, inspired you, challenged you in your walk with God, your spiritual life, uh, please consider going over there to contribute um, a little bit. There's different tiers of giving, uh, $3 up to $20. Every tier gets its own uh, reward. Right now we have 26 patrons. I would love to get to 30 by the end of August. So if that's something you, you feel like you want to do, you can do, uh, please go check it out. I'll put the link to it in the show notes. Um, and also the Heretic Shop is a place to go to buy shirts and hoodies and all that kind of stuff. They're a little bit delayed in their shipping right now due to COVID. I think they're like a month out on a lot of things. So if you go over there and you buy something, I apologize in advance for the delays. I've sent emails. I've sent messages. They just keep saying they're doing the best they can. So got to just let it let them do what they got to do and hope that people get their stuff um, as soon as possible. I ordered something a while ago. It took me like over a month to get it. And uh, I own the store. Like it's my store and it took me over a month to get it. So um, I do apologize for the delays, but I'll put the link to that in the show notes um, as well. And uh, special music today is by my friend uh, Derek Webb. If you don't know who Derek Webb is, uh, again, go to the Google machine, pop in his name. He used to be part of a um, very popular Christian band uh, back in the day. Now he's doing his own thing and still making beautiful and wonderful music. So I'll put some of his music in the show uh, today and I'll play a, a full song um, at the end of the episode um, as well. So all of that to say, uh, thank you. Thank you for dropping by. Thanks for being you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for passing the podcast around. Uh, thanks for your encouragement, for your love. And I hope you all are doing well. And I hope that this conversation with Jay uh, blesses you as much as it blessed me. So let's roll the tape with the one and the only Jay Baker. Enjoy. Friends, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today we are joined by my friend Jay Baker, who is a pastor, an author, uh, a public theologian of sorts, and uh, he is going to talk to us a little bit about his own spiritual journey and uh, field some of my questions regarding the evolution of his faith, uh, of which I have many questions, but I will try to uh, narrow it down. So Jay, welcome to the podcast. It's an honor to talk with you. Oh, thanks, Glenn. It's great to be here. Thank you. So, Jay, I recently read your book, uh, Faith, Doubt, and Other Lines I've Crossed. And uh, yeah. it's an excellent book that really resonated with me and my own journey, um, especially as I, with this podcast, am often accused of crossing over lines and, and different boundaries and all sorts of other things. So it was great to kind of read that part of your story and come away feeling less <laughs> lonely than I sometimes feel so. Thank you, first nice. of all, for the book. Thank well, you. You're welcome. Before we get too far, though, into those things, uh, maybe for our listeners who aren't too familiar with you, uh, could you tell us about yourself? Who are you? What do you do? Who is, who is Jay Baker? Let I me mean, just get the obvious stuff out of the way. Is, you know, I was raised uh, son of Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, who were televangelists in the 80s and had a big scandal that was all over the media. Um, thank goodness there was no social media at the time. I don't know what that would have been like. It was still quite insane all over the TV and news and stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. before then, uh, until I was 11, I grew up in really almost like an empire. I mean, my parents had the biggest Christian television station in the world. Mm -hmm. And they had this place called Heritage USA, which was like a, a Christian park, you know, I mean, like hotels and 
had a water park and television stations and mm. places play and like a gigantic retreat center. But anyway, so I grew up in that. Then in the 1987, all that fell apart because of a scandal. Um, a couple of years later, my father went to prison for five years and that was pretty tough. Um, jump about the time I was 18, I started a church called Revolution uh, with some friends of mine and we wanted to do something reaching out to like punk rock skateboard kids and things like that. Cause that's what mm -hmm. we were, <laughs> you know, I mean, I was only 18. And so we started that. And over the years, I just kind of, uh, continued to, st I, I it was a high school dropout and got my GED. Um, but I'm all self-taught. So, um, you know, I'm not a proper theologian or a proper whatever, you know, I, I, I just went and started reading books on my own, read, understanding Greek and Hebrew and historic, you know, Bible history and yeah. context and things like that on my own. And um, just kept doing the church. And, you know, uh, I wrote three books, uh, you know, done a lot of media stuff based, you know, on my work, but also because of my interest in my family and those two often cross over, mm. which is something that I kind of ran away from for a long time, but now I've really just learned to embrace it as part of my story. So that's, that's kind of uh, who I am. And, and I pastor a church called Revolution. Been doing that for almost 20, 25, 26 years mm. and been in Atlanta and LA. Uh, lived in New York for seven years, did a church there in Brooklyn, and now I've been here for about six and a half years in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I'm a dad of four and a half year old boy named Milo and a two and a half year old girl named Minnie, and I'm divorced and live in an apartment in Minneapolis where I do my church out of a bowling alley, uh, a theater in a bowling alley. Hmm. And But we've been online for over 15 years, so you know, as everybody is with the COVID thing, we're doing church online, but we've, the majority of our listeners have always been online. So it's, it's been pretty, pretty good, pretty okay for us. That's awesome. So what is, what, it, talk to me more about Revolution Church. Like what, what makes Revolution stand out from other churches? You know, without getting into too much of the history, I mean, it has mm -hmm. evolved a bit over the years. Um, but I think what probably stands out of it mostly now is one, I mean, like I said before, majority of our congregation is online. We do a podcast. Uh, another podcast is called Meet Your Congregation, mm. um, where we interview people, people from the church all, from all over the country and also here in Minnesota, where people can kind of get to know people they are listening to and talking to. Got a pretty big online presence. Um, we don't meet in a traditional place. We've never had a building. So we've mm. always met in like bars or coffee shops or things like that right now in a, in a theater mm. uh, that's in a bowling alley called uh, Bryant Lake Bowl. So um, we also aren't really, you know, we're not a church that has a lot of demands on people. Yeah. You know, we're not looking for people who are, you know, no one's expected to be a Christian or not a Christian or subscribe to anything that any types of belief system mm. not to you sign know, on the dotted line anywhere <laughs> yeah no and i mean you're automatically a member if you walk through the door mm. and the reason you, i even have membership is because being a 501c3 requires it so yeah. um but yeah i mean we're opening for questioning we're open for doubt we're open for all that kind of stuff and uh you know but we're not uh, you couldn't put us in a i don't think you could you could peg us as like, oh, they're a progressive church. Or, oh, they're a conservative church. Uh, I mean, we, I don't think we'd ever be called a conservative church, but, um, but we're also not into conservatives either, which I feel like is a big thing in the progressive movement today. And yeah. so we just try to make a place where everybody's welcomed. Um, at the end of every service, we have a conversation and that's on the podcast as well. We talk and get feedback and things like that. So I think that might be what we don't have a neck, you know, normal church, just me speaking or whoever's speaking at the time. That's all. That sounds awesome. I think I did a little bit of research um, on the church because I, I've heard of it before, but I didn't really, really taken a dive into it to try to, you know, see what it's all about. But I, I heard so many different things about it. And I heard that exact thing that you can't really peg it as any one thing like progressive or kind of mildly progressive or obviously denominational or even non-denominational, just like 
somebody said like it just is a church that is pretty wow, much what it is. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I've not heard I've not heard that, but yeah, that's <laughs> that's a good sums it up, that's right? A good way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's start the conversation uh by talking about um doubt because similar to you, uh, I was raised in a, a very conservative evangelical setting. And the word doubt was like the equivalent of a dirty four-letter word, right? Like yeah. if you doubt, it's because, you know, you're not reading your Bible enough. You're not praying enough. You're not going to church enough. You haven't confessed all of your sins. And hell is most likely somewhere teetering in your future. But like <laughs> now, you know, now I'm at this place where like I actually embrace doubt. And the interesting thing that I'm finding is like the more room I make for doubt in my life, like really the closer to God I feel like I, I become. And I've been trying to like process that a little bit and something I think about a lot, but I think like if we're able to fit God into like a nice, neat 500 page systematic theology book that we can be like a hundred percent certain confident about, like, you know, are we really dealing with God anymore? Right. And right, like, is yeah. God is God really God. Like if we can just figure him out and remove all doubt and questions. So I found that the more doubt I've embraced, like the closer I feel drawn to this God that I can't fully know, and I'm more and more in awe of, of the divine. So, so that said, I have this quote in your book that I was hoping you could expand on for me. Um, you say, fanaticism and pharisaism are the symptoms of repressed doubt. And this is easy to see in the, in the evangelical world. Often those who preach the hardest against a certain sin or vice are personally struggling with that very same thing. Extreme belief is what happens when we repress our unbelief. We believe all the more, hoping that our belief will succeed in suppressing our doubts. So if you would, maybe talk to me a little bit more about, about that. And what does it look like in, in your life, coming from your own background, uh, to make, make room and to embrace this thing called doubt in your life? Well, I mean, I think, you know, if you look at people like who write apologetics, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> my friend Pete Rollins often talks about that. He's like, you know, of course they doubt, you know, they've mm-hmm. written, you know, 10 books on trying to prove there is no place for doubt, you know, like they're researching constantly trying to make sure that there's no holes or no questions or no nothing, you know, because necessarily because they do have doubt. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I think it's that verse and I think it's in James. It's been so long. Um, since I read James, but, um, <laughs> you know, it talks about doubt being like, yep. you're like a ship tossed in the sea and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And maybe at first you are, um, <clears throat> but yeah, I grew up in the assemblies of God and there was no room for doubt, no room for like certain questions. Um, especially questions that didn't have answers. Mm. Um, you know, so, you know, I mean, like if you think you figure God out, God ceases to be God. Yeah. Because we're finite beings trying to understand the infinite. And I've written, 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 I've read so much theology and, you know, and every theologian has a different idea of what God is. I think the most, one I find most comforting is probably Paul Tillich's idea that God is the ground of being. Um, but doubt is, is, I think, related to faith. Because, you know, faith is what evidence of things not seen is what it's explained in the Bible at one point. And, um, you know, and hope, if you look at hope as well, they're related. You know, like hope, you don't hope for something that you know is coming, you know. You know, I'm not hoping that tomorrow comes because I know, you know, unless something really crazy happens, tomorrow's going to be here. You know, I don't hope for taxes because they will be there. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, and... I think faith and hope have doubt built in the system. Mm. Um, and I think that's what kind of makes it powerful is that uncertainty of that living in the uncertainty for me and what it's done. And I feel like I'm answering, I'm not answering your question completely. I'm, I'm, I'm just answering it. You're coming out from the back end. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Kind of answering it in a different way. Like yeah. Like Rob Bellway or something, but <laughs> I don't mean to do that. I'm just, now I realize why he does it. Um, <laughs> Because he forgot the answer. Right. Um, or he answers a question with a thousand other questions. <laughs> yeah, right. And Jesus did that too. I was yep. always say Jesus would, I would really would have had a hard time hanging out with Jesus all the time. Go, Just give me an answer. <laughs> answer yes my question. No. <laughs> I guess once you read philosophy after a while, you, you get used to it. But um, the idea like like having doubt built into the faith system to, 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 to being finite and there being something infinite, you know, there there's... Uh, there's the the death of God theology is kind of this the idea that you can 
you know, you live as though God was dead, you know, mm. um, and maybe God's not, maybe God is, I don't know, but you live as though, you know, you live a good life. And, and, that, and that's what doubts allowed me to do is live a life. My faith is built in a way where, you know, I've genuinely worked really hard to love my enemies mm. and to love others. And that's where I find God. Mm. Um, is God 100% evident there? No, I can't say God is. Um, but I, I do find that I'm closer to something greater than myself when I do those things. And I do see uh, a shared humanity amongst my enemies when I sit down and spend time with them mm. and something real. You know, doubt has allowed me to, to not be devastated when I look at something like the pastoral epistles, you know, and say, okay, those are probably forgeries, mm. um, you know, and not be like, oh, if this point isn't right or if this point isn't true, then it's all not true. You know, it, yeah. it hasn't made me want to throw everything away. It's allowed me to live in, in a type of tension, you know, mm. but I've had dark nights of the soul where, you know, God was not there at all, where I felt like God was dead or God had never existed and things like that. And, you know, there's, there's no nightlight in the dark night of the soul as much as we'd like there to be. Mm. And, uh, so I've been there too. So I just kind of live life. And, um, and yes, doubt is a big part of what I, what I believe in, what I do and, and what I say. And um, I don't know if that'll lead to another question, but that's, you know, it's, it's, that's kind of like the best explanation I have is that, um, I mean, like you said, my, my faith becomes, evolves into something different and evolves into something. I, I don't want to say stronger. I mean, certainty is a lovely feeling and sure. It certainly was nice to have at one time, um, but I'm also very glad I, I don't have it because I, I don't have to spend my life writing apologetics. Yeah, right. Some people find that enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. I think I probably used to when I was, when I was younger, but uh, yeah. Oh, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm thinking like for myself, even, you know, 14, 15 years ago when I came out as a, an ally for the LGBTQ community, mm. you know, I was more of a literalist. Yep. And I've always kind of liked that is because I, I came to convince, I was convinced that you literally could not prove that being gay was a sin in the Bible, even though for, if you took it for face value, you would think that. Hmm. But once I started studying historic background, history, uh, translation, uh, the concepts of sexuality, when they actually came to be, um, what gods they were worshiping, how they worshiped particular gods, hmm. um, you know, all that kind of went out the door. So, I mean, it was, it was nice at the time, um, you know, but it would have been easier now because I would have probably done a less of an in-depth study and just been like, Oh, they got it wrong. Right, <laughs> you know? right. I yeah. disagree with Paul. I think that for me, like doubt has like, doubt has really allowed my heart to open up more. Like you talk about LGBTQ inclusion. Like for me, you know, I used to read the Bible and I was like, it's very clear. There's these six verses and it says what it says. And, you know, let's move on to the next topic. But and I've told the story on, on the podcast before, but once I started to become an ally, that happened when I started to make friends with people who are LGBTQ. And I got to yeah. learn their stories and I was like, oh my goodness, like these people are not these evil like demons that I was told that they are. Like they're human beings who are loving and kind and perhaps more loving than a lot of the church people that I know in my yeah, life. And that right. really caused this disruption in my heart. But I found that my heart moved forward long before my mind did. And I had to yeah. learn like with all these areas of deconstruction that to almost follow my heart, like doubt has made it okay for me to follow my heart and my mind eventually starts to catch up sometime, sometime later. Yeah, no, it makes complete sense. I mean, another thing I've done too with the Bible um, is, is kind of the idea of that love trumps whatever yeah. is in there, Yeah, you know, and um, just from the, the emphasis on love in the Bible um, <clears throat> seeming to be the highest law. I mean, even Corinthians 13, you know, love, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love, you know? So taking, mm. you know, if love is greater than my faith, if love is greater than even my own hope, um, then how am I doing that? And what does that look like? Yeah. You know? And, and then, and looking at the evolution of, of, of inclusion through, jesus and then even further through paul where there's neither jew nor gentile male nor female slave nor free you know um identities 
are completely disappear. And then you say, well, we're all one in Christ. Is that our identity? But it's saying, no, really being a Christian is letting go completely of one's identity, even as a Christian. So. Yeah. How is doubt out of curiosity? Like you talked earlier about revolution church and how you, I think you used the phrase that it's like a place where doubt is, is welcome. How have you like as a pastor coming from that, like the view that you have, how has that impacted the people that have come to your church? Because like in my, again, growing up and you have the same experience is that, you know, doubt is not welcomed. And even when I used to pastor a church going on like 10, almost 10 years ago, um, I was still in this mindset where you want to almost as a pastor, you want to try to erase people's doubts. And so I'm wondering now, like I'm imagining myself in that position now, kind of wondering what would it be like in that church if I made an atmosphere where doubt was was welcome. I'm curious, what is that like at Revolution? How has that impacted your people? Well, I'm sure at times it's caused people to not come back. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, but not not much. Um, hmm. It's hard work when you're on, you so much online because you're not always certain who's coming back and who's not. But um, yeah. but I think it's just you know I've seen my church embrace me in those moments. Hmm. You know, I, I there was a time in Brooklyn where. I stood up in front of the conversation in the congregation and said, you know, I don't know if I believe if there's a God right now. I just mm-hmm. honestly don't know where I stand. And, uh, and I said, you know, but we've got a co-pastor and we've got this and, you know, hopefully you guys will stick with me through this and we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. And if what I decide to do, well then literally like a week or two later, my co-pastor's father passes away. He gets up and says, I don't know if I believe in God anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm going, oh my gosh, <laughs> it's happening to both of us at the same <laughs> <Right>. time. <laughs> One and, at a time, please. <laughs> yeah, so we asked the congregation, you know, hey, we're here if you want to come back, but we don't know what we believe. And mm-hmm. the church, we all stuck together, you know. Oh. And I wasn't, I realized at that point that the church was much bigger than me or bigger than Vince or bigger than, you know, you know it was we were all together in and uh, living life together. And we had this combined love for our the Christianity that we had been grown up with great grown up with or the spirituality that we were seeking. And it kept us all together. Mm. And I think it just gave people the freedom to express their own doubts. I mean, I think everybody doubts. I mean, everybody, mm. um, even my own father, he'd tell me, yes, I doubt it, you know, but I think often people, play a game where they don't, you know, no, it just goes unspoken and no one says anything. So, you know, it, it never has to be confronted, but I think yeah. there's just a, this great power to it when it's confronted and it's there and, and everybody's still part of it. You know, it's, it's like when mother Teresa felt like there was no God, but she kept doing her work, you know, yeah, she kept taking care of children and helping people. And it was this idea that maybe that's the kingdom of God. Maybe when, when we don't need the reward, maybe when we don't know if there's life after death, maybe if there is no purpose in life, but we still see a common humanity, a shared suffering that we want to partake in and lessen in each other's lives. You know, you, you connect with something that like that. And to me, that's gotta be, that's the gospel. Mm. You know, it's not a reward based system, you know, where you're sharing in that moment of Christ on the cross of my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yeah. You're still there. You're still doing your best to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, you're still mm-hmm. doing the best to love your enemies. And, um, you know, you just, you live life. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're trying to answer an impossible question. And I think, you know, I mean, I, I was on Larry King once and they wanted me to have like, I don't know if this is supposed to be a debate or a conversation or what <laughs> with these two like scientists and who are atheists and, and uh, I said, you know, I said, I can't prove to you guys that this guy is, there's a God or not. That would, we wouldn't be, wouldn't even need to do this if I could, you know? And mm. I said, and sometimes I don't know myself. And they seemed a little bit taken aback by that, you know, but I wasn't threatened by it. You know, they weren't threatened. You know, it was just the idea of like, you know, we don't know. That's why it's faith. That's, you know, why we live this way. Mm. For, I think one of them was like, well, then this isn't real Christianity, what you're practicing, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> and it's so funny how, an atheist can become a fundamentalist really quick. Start to prove you wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah. Right. right. No, I think for me, like I have one of the, like, I guess for lack of a better phrase, like one of the core values of my life is just, is do it anyway. You know, I think a lot of times, like I look at the story of Jesus, you know, he's in the garden of Gethsemane and, you know, 
take this away from me. And yeah. God obviously says, no, well, okay, I'm going to do it anyway. And he goes on the cross and oh my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he, he goes forward anyway. And I think yeah. there's those moments in life where, you know, we feel that I don't know which way is up. I don't know which way is down. I don't know if there is a God, if there is a God, I don't know where he is. I don't know what's going on, but you know, I know in the deepest part of my soul, what the right thing to do is and to walk forward in in love and walk forward in trust and walk forward in faith. I'm just going to do it anyway. Yeah. I mean, there's just parts of, of, of the faith that, you know, if I left it tomorrow, you know, and whatever, you know, would still just ring true to me, you know, and then, you know, you look at people like Martin Luther King or Gandhi and you see what they did and, and, and how Martin Luther King Jr. just took it even to just, took it even further and drew out this perfect roadmap of what it's like to love your enemies, you know, mm-hmm. and how it's dangerous and how it's dying to self and how it's all that. And, you know, I still want that, you know, yeah. on my, my moments, my deepest moments of faith and my deepest moments of, of doubt, you know? Um, I mean, to me, I don't even, it's so funny now that I live into a place where I don't even think of it as belief or non-belief, you know, belief or disbelief. You know what I mean? It's just, I just live, you know, mm-hmm. and um, Christianity is a part of my work. Christianity is a part of me. Um, the idea of grace and loving your enemies is very hard for me to let go. Uh, letting Jesus or, or Paul, to be quite honest, <laughs> go would, is, would be very hard for me. Yeah. Um, because that's just such a big part of my life and my work. And uh, I do find a deeper meaning there. So mm-hmm. I, I, it's hard to not have the answers. It's hard to not be certain. Um, you know, like if I had to sit down and debate with a neo-Calvinist, I mean, it would just be a waste of time, mm. you know, because theologically or, you know, they might be able to kick my butt with whatever right. they have, you know. Right. And, um, but at the same time, I could honestly sit there and go like, you know, I don't care, yeah. you know. Um, and and use verses to say why I don't care. I mean, I, I think the idea of God, Paul saying God is no respecter of man mm. is one. You know, so no Bible person has any has any special favor. And then the idea that Jesus said, you'll do greater things than me. You know, um, well, I'm not out healing people, um, but I am out being more inclusive and loving people more and more every day and mm. maybe doing a little better job than he did with the, uh, the, the woman at the table when he said even, you know, when she had to say even dogs get crumbs to the table. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, and then Jesus <laughs> repents. And says your faith made you whole. You know what I mean? Mm. You even see this evolution in, in Jesus. So, mm. you know, what does that say? I mean, what does that say for certainty? What does that say the same today, tomorrow, yesterday, forever, whatever? I mean, what does that say about that? Now, what do you say when people like tell you, like, you tell me about, about those verses you just shared? Like, what do you say to people who maybe the neo Calvinist is, well, now you're cherry picking verses because you're ignoring, well, I mean, I, I ignoring all Jesus, the verses I'm telling you? What do you say Jesus, to that? Jesus cherry picked and I yes. would I would show exactly where Jesus cherry picked what Jesus read over what Jesus skipped hmm. I'd show where Paul actually took verses out of context to put yeah. within his own context and he put together yeah. as one thought when they were complete from completely different places you know hmm. what I mean it would be like you know <laughs> God so loved the world that he gave his only son and Jesus wept and love never gives up. Nobody's always hopeful. You know, if I said something right. like that, you'd be like, that's three different verses, you know, and they'd be like, right. oh, you know, but Paul could get away with it. Yeah. And they both cherry picked and I've done sermons on both of them. Jesus, the cherry picker and Paul, the cherry picker. I mean, Jesus changed the verses. Right. Jesus said, you've heard it said <laughs> in the, you know, but I say this, you know, so Jesus changed things, you know, I mean, he, you know, people was, oh, he fulfilled, you know, like, well, okay, well, then how do we define fulfilled? And that can get you going down a, a, a quite a slippery slope as well. Yeah. So off the top of your head, do you have, do you have like one, just to share with our listeners, like an instance of where Jesus or Paul cherry picked or maybe changed something? You know, I can't, I can't come off of the verses off the top of my head. Um, but if you do notes or something, I could look them up and let you know. The one that comes to my mind is, I think, where Jesus quoted from Isaiah uh, about the, uh, what's that passage where he talks about um, like healing the brokenhearted, binding up the wounded. And he quotes, I think, just the first half of one verse because the second half 
he leaves off, which is about God's wrath. And he rolls and he rolls a scroll up. Yes. Finishes. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then they want to throw him off a cliff. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't finish it. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's such a deliberate action. Like I'm just going to stop reading when everybody knows what's coming next. Yep. He's like, I'm just going to stop reading now and roll up the scroll and sit down. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's the one yeah. I was actually thinking of. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> like that's perfect. So on that topic of the Bible, you talk about how you mentioned it earlier, you talk about it in the book, but how Paul likely didn't write the pastoral epistles. So first, second Timothy and I think Titus, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm curious, first of all, uh, maybe if you could share a little bit of that with our listeners, what did that do to your, like your understanding of the Bible when you first learned that? Because for me, I know when I first learned it, which wasn't that long ago, it yeah. really wrecked me a little bit. Cause I was like, Oh, like, what do I do with this? Well, I remember when I first, I mean, one thing is it's been, it's been common knowledge for a long time, or at least debated for a long, long time. Mm. You know, there's Paul and there's, you know, anti-Paul and persuade, what are they called? I can't, I can't, I'm sorry. I'm, I've had a very long day today. No, no worries. I know um, what you're talking about though. Yep. Yeah. So there's different ideas of Paul, but you know, most people accept that those weren't written by Paul, but then they will use the, the idea that, well, in those times you could write under Paul's name and it would be accepted, you know, whatever, right. you know. Right. Um, it, it shook me a little bit, um, because I, I, I started studying it and, and I was going like, oh man, you know, because I was, I believed that it was all there, you know, mm. I mean, it was, you know, I mean, I was like, if Jesus didn't die and, and raised from the dead in three days, and if you had a video camera and he, he walks out of the tomb, if he doesn't walk out of the tomb, I'm done. You know what I mean? Like, I was right. like, this sure. is how it is. I'm done. Yeah. Um, so, uh, understanding that a little bit more was, was difficult. Um, and, uh, I remember going, I was speaking at a Bible college, not even a Bible college, it was a seminary. And I wish I could remember what seminary it was. Um, but I was with a bunch of pastors who had doctorates and things like that. And I never know how I end up in those circles because right. you know, I'm the, I'm the odd man out, you know, right. You're like, how did I, I end not, up here? <laughs> yeah. Because I'm not dressing like them. I'm not look like them. Right. You know, I don't have the same education, you know, and my parents are like notoriously fallen televangelists. So right. I was like, what am I doing here? It's like the perfect um, storm. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, I guess I know Brian McLaren or I know this person, right. you know, somehow I got here. So, um, and I remember talking to some of them about it and some of them are like, yeah, but you know, Jay, we can still use those and they still benefit us and they still, you know, and, and having different conversations. And I was like, okay, you know, it shook me up a little bit, but then when I realized and I kind of looked at the content, I go, you know, these books are someone covering up the mess that Paul made. Mm -hmm. Now this is hard for me to say, cause I know that people listening right now, even some, you know, some of your listeners are going to be like, Oh my God, I can't go that far. And I get it. Sure. Honestly, yeah. I don't want to go that far. I'd prefer not to say that out loud, but I'm saying it out loud as it is. Um, but as someone who still believes and has faith in something, um, you know, but it was, you know, like men and should be married and children should listen to their, you know, and wives be obedient, you know, all yeah. these different. And, you know, it went from like Paul saying like, it's better not to get married and Paul and Jesus saying that and Paul saying there's neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female, slave nor free to all of a sudden be like, oh, there's a hierarchy now in the church. Mm -hmm. So I was like, wait a second, we got rid of all the hierarchy, social value um, to the point where you're saying there's neither Jew nor Gentile, which is much bigger than being, you know, an apostle or a pastor or a prophet, you know, mm -hmm. and now all of a sudden your, your, your letter, later letters, you're saying, you know, and I've had people argue like, well, Paul just became more mature in his Christianity. I'm like, oh, really? That's, that's it. Right. That's um, the answer. <laughs> yeah. Um, but to me, it, it, uh, it, it became kind of clear that it, it seemed to be someone who was not as comfortable with the inclusion that Paul wrote about. Mm. Um, and then I got a book uh, called The Problem with the Pastoral Epistles. And I cannot remember the author. Usually when I do these, I'm at home right now. I'm not at home. <laughs> so I can't, I can't look at the can't book. Pull it pretend, off your shelf. <laughs> pretend like I know the author off the top of my head. No worries. Um, but yeah, it was a very, very almost impossible book to find. Um, but then he's, you know, this guy goes into like even mathematics and the tradition of what words are used in this book or as mm. the original, you know, and how Paul, these words weren't even available to Paul at the time and how they don't make 
they're not written in any of the similar structures that Paul would have written in. Mm. Um, and then the, just the very fact of saying anything's a forgery in the Bible is, yeah. is kind of uh, a major heresy. Yeah. Um, but just realizing that was tough. And to be honest with you, I don't ever use the pastoral epistles for anything. Mm. No, mm. I, I, it's completely not part of my work. Maybe it will again one day. Maybe I'll have a radical reading from, you know, uh, the more I get into pyrotheology and radical theology, maybe it'll be something I'm able to re-embrace. Hmm. Um, but later, someone again asked me, like, well, don't you think they serve a purpose? And I said, no, I don't, you know, but that's, that could just be my own issue, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. I've been struggling with how to, like, what to do with that for, for a while. And when I read in your book, you said something along the lines of what you just said, that it was almost like a an author or a writer's attempt to clean up Paul's mess. And for me, like something inside of me clicked because I thought to myself, how many times have I wanted to clean up the mess of the Bible? Yeah. How many times have I read something of Jesus or even something of Paul or something of a prophet? And I'm like, Ugh, I don't like the way that feels inside because it causes me to have to change in a radical way that I don't really want to. And so I would rather explain it away, cover it up, cut it out of my Bible, pretend that it doesn't exist. And it's almost like, if that's true with first and second Timothy and Titus, if that's what these writers were doing, like that just makes me feel more human. It makes it feel like it makes the Bible feel more human. Like I can have a deeper connection with the Bible in a weird way. I think the Bible is very human. And I think yeah. that's part of the power of the Bible is that the humanity of the Bible and the fact that you see them air with each other, you see them yeah. argue with each other, not just in Galatians, but you kind of see cross overriding, you know, of like people saying, well, there's some people who say, and you're like, oh, they're definitely talking about Paul right there. Right. They're definitely yeah. talking, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, like they're not talking about some crazy heretic that was off the street. They're talking about another apostle who they're kind of like, I'm not really into, you know? Hmm. So to me, I, you know, I think it's great. I think the humanity of it's great because it also shows that we're able to work together in a system that's not perfect. And there are no perfect systems. There's no, pure program you know we're always going to have differences you know but the yeah. fact is can we can we coexist in those differences yeah and uh, i think the answer should be yes unfortunately for a lot of people it's been no you <laughs> right. know but yeah. i mean you think about it it's like what what what's happening with with you know the pastoral epistles and paul i mean it, it's like you know i mean it's like convincing like me going to convince like a neo-Calvinist that, you know, oh yeah, everyone is predestined, but everyone's predestined. Everyone. You know, oh no, 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 but God's just. God, that's God's justice. Everyone. Everyone. You know, I mean, and they would be like, you know, like right. they wouldn't like that very much. Um, mm. I don't mean to pick on Calvinists during this no. talk. I just. Not at all. <laughs> just on the, it's on the top of my head. So. <laughs> Sometimes they could be easy to pick on. I used to be a yeah. Calvinist, so I'll put myself oh, okay. in that. Yeah, I used to be in that in that world. So <laughs> hey, you got you know, I'll give this. They are smart as a whip, man. I mean, yeah. definitely. I I I am back about ten years ago. Most of my critics were were Calvinists, mostly neo Calvinists. <laughs> yeah, and um, and uh, they really got me on the ball. You know, like I really I was like, oh man, you know, like these guys know their Bible in and and they know a lot of their theologians really well. Yes, you know? they so do. Like, so I was like, you know, I got to start reading more, you know? And I even read like a John Piper book and all this stuff because I was just like, I just want to know what's going on here. Right. You know? So I could talk that language and, a little bit. <laughs> uh, yeah, I understand yeah. it, you know? And, and see what if they had a corner on anything. I mean, it's funny. When I was lived in Atlanta, you know, probably 20 years ago, I was, I was going to this church that was um, – which was a Calvinist church and I didn't realize it to show you how brilliant I am. Um, <laughs> I loved this church. They talked about grace, blah, blah. I mean, it was really great. I mean, the grace sermons were probably some of the greatest sermons I ever heard in my life. And then when I went to join the church, it became very clear that they were Calvinists, like no women's. In, and mm. I, my friend, the friend who brought me there was this really strong woman. So I didn't realize they didn't have women leadership or, you know, and, and I, I was like, wow, I have to stop going to this church because um, I was raised Arminian. I have to have free will. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but no, but the great thing I did grasp from, from, from Calvinists and, and realizing that Martin, it's a very good chance that Martin Luther was a Calvinist as well, which is mm -hmm. 
always meant, or you know, believed in predestination, which was hard for me to grasp because I love Luther. Um, <laughs> a mind, that's a mind bender. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's just because I took a really amazing class uh, in, a, in, a, in a seminary. Uh, I never attended seminary, but I was able to take some seminary classes, and uh, on 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 uh, on Martin Luther, and it was like, oh, okay, this, maybe I oh, okay, <laughs> you know, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, but. I, but the power of grace is is a really cool concept that um, that the Calvinists have. The only problem is is that somebody has to pay the bill, mm. you know. And it's not just Jesus, you know. It's like a lot of people, mm. and um, so that's the problem. But I like the way they see grace. I just wish they were more inclusive with their with their grace, and you know, and and God didn't seem like a monster. Yeah, make it more accessible to everybody. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, said, I don't, I don't, I don't believe in a literal hell. So, yeah, but that also comes from my time of studying when I was more of a literalist. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like my theology. A lot of my bigger theology, theological questions don't come from me just being like, "Well, I'm radical and crazy now." You know, it comes from the time when I was more of a literalist and buying a lot of a lot of my you know history books and Bible books and. Yeah from like going to family Christian bookstore, you know what I mean? Mm. And buying these books on my own. So my radical, my radical uh, theology comes from family Christian bookstore. (laughs) (laughs) Last question I want to ask you is, um, can you talk to me a little bit about uh, the good news and, and the gospel? Because I feel like those are terms that carry a lot of baggage for me and a lot of baggage for our listeners. And you had such a unique way of kind of, explaining it in your in your book but um, i know for like myself or listeners you come from your background as well just that idea that you know, the good news is that you know jesus died to take your place on the cross and you should be punished but he took it for you you believe in that you go to heaven you don't you go to hell and that's the end of the story and the good news is right. you know that jesus did all this for us and you know, i just had this discussion with somebody on on facebook actually uh over the last couple of days and i was trying to like explain it in a way and they, they just weren't getting it. it was like we're just like we just kept going back and forth and finally i was like you know i, I get where you're coming from um i just don't i just don't agree so i'm, I'm wondering maybe if you could take us a little bit uh deeper yeah, I mean, into some of that honestly i mean my theology has has shifted so much even from that last book mm. that that um i might not even give the same answer or a similar fine. answer yeah yeah but um i'm gonna i'm gonna give you a little time travel though okay so we're gonna go back to when i really first discovered grace um, when I was, was this is when I probably been around 2021 and I really grasped grace. And I was talking to my dad, you know, and saying, why don't we talk more about grace growing up? You know, and he goes, mm-hmm. just seemed, you know, he said, son, it just seems to be good, too good to be true. You know, this idea that you're accepted and loved by God and, and everyone's loved and accepted by God. And, you know, it's this free gift and nothing, mm-hmm. you can't do anything, you know, nothing, you know, it's not even the sinner's prayer, you know, I mean, I was like, all this, like, really, I was like, so blown away by it, you know, mm-hmm. and um, coming out of evangelicalism, I mean, still in it, you know, at the time. And, and, uh, and it was at that moment that I realized why it was good news. You know, it was the concept of grace. And to go even further with that, it's like when you're, when we were talking about like, what did you do when you lost the pastoral epistles? You know, um, you know, I, I partially blame Bart Ehrman for that too. Cause I did some studying of Bart Ehrman's. I'm stuff. reading some of his books right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, forgery really, really nailed me. Mm. I think of the name of the book is um, he's a pretty brilliant dude. Um, I, I think he should still be a Christian to be honest with you. Cause a lot of stuff he takes out, um, it continues to be good news. It actually mm. becomes better news. It becomes actual good news. Yeah. And so for me, that was 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 seeing that the good news is there. Um, for me, uh, the good news is uh, I was rec- a year ago this week, I think, I was in uh, Belfast, Northern Ireland, uh, for my buddy Pete Rollins's uh, event he does called Wake. Mm. And he said during one of his talks, he goes, um, he said, grace is the freedom from the pursuit of happiness. Mm. Did you hear that? The freedom from the pursuit of happiness, not for the pursuit of happiness, but from Mm. the pursuit of happiness. Mm. 
And I was going through a really hard time where I had just recently, uh, my wife and me had split up and um, I had a nervous breakdown and just pretty much didn't want to live anymore. And uh, all of a sudden I realized, like, oh, wait, I don't have to be like happy all the time. I don't have to have this all the time, you know. Mm-hmm. I have to, and there was something powerful in that. Um, the idea that that when Jesus is, has that moment on the cross of my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That complete forsakenness of all of his friends, his tribe, God, God is forsaken by God. Mm. Um, you know, that's a lot of where the death of God comes from. I had finally something I could identify with. I could finally identify with that moment on the cross. I could finally identify with Jesus in a mm. way that I had never identified before. And that's where it became good news to me again. And, and so I've had over time, the gospel has had these moments where good news became actually good news. You know, First Corinthians 13, love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, endures through every circumstance, not just some circumstances, but every circumstance. You know, what is it? No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, all are saved, you know, blah, blah, blah. Ephesians 29, you say by grace, not by works. No, man, yeah. they boast. You know, this is good news. Um, there's a, a sermon by uh, Paul Tillich, the, the philosopher, theologian, uh, the 20th century, German philosopher, Paul Tillich, called You Are Accepted. Mm. And it talks about, you know, accept that you're accepted. You may not accept it in God. You may not accept that there's something greater than yourself. You may not become better. You may not become this, but you are accepted. And this idea of this pure acceptance, being accepted by that, something that's greater than myself. Mm. Um, this concept that, that, that I am loved, no matter who I am, no matter what I've done, you know, that my identity is, is, is in not having an identity. Mm. Um, I, you can tell I've been reading way too much philosophy and hanging out with Pete too much. Um, Pete will do that to you. <laughs> yeah, he, he will. <laughs> Pete, I just want to talk normal. Um, <laughs> how do I keep it simple? Right. Um, but, but to me, you know, this is the good news. The good news is also that says, you know, carry one another's burdens. You know, yeah. if you think you're too important to help someone who stumbled in sin, and I think this is in the end of Galatians, then you're only fooling yourself. You're nobody, mm. you know, like bear one another's burdens. Um, these are the things that make it good news to me is that, you know, we pick one another up. We love each other. We love our enemy, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Now that's really hard and it doesn't feel like good news necessarily when you're trying to do it, especially if you try to do it on social media, which is next to impossible. Right. Um, Dumpster fire. (laughs) Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like when I'm going and meeting with pastors who think, you know, believe in gay conversion therapy and stuff like that, I'm sitting with them trying to be like, Hey, can you rethink this? Let's have a talk about this. You know, it's really Mm -hmm. tough at the time, but you know, it's good news. It's even good news for them when you start to see the spark and then they were, they at least go like, man, I wish this heresy was true. You know? Right. <laughs> um, I mean, that's when it, it starts to become good news. The idea of just studying, you know, original words in Greek and Hebrew for me made it good news. I mean, I guess I have one question for you is off the top of your head. Do you yeah. remember what I, what I originally said was good news? Um, it was, it was along the lines that you just shared, but I think the, the way that would sum up everything that you said and what you said in the book is that, you know, good news in, in the way that I was raised, where you were raised, the good news seemed to be like something for the future. Like it's going to yeah, get me yeah. out of hell. It's going to get me That's into right. heaven. Whereas good news and all the things you just described are about, it brings it into today. Like it eliminates life the well hells now. around you. Yeah. Like there's hell all around us and the good news and the way that we live the good news helps eliminate those hells and makes this place more, more heavenly. Right. Like yeah. live life. Well, I mean, that's, that's yeah. thing I've really learned is, is, is live life well now. You yeah. know, um, I, Rollins said, do you believe that someone, I don't know if it was him or he's quoting somebody, but do you believe in life after death? Because I believe in life before death. Yeah. And yeah, that's good news. You know, let's live as there's no tomorrow. Let's live as though heaven is maybe not there. Um, and, and, and let's make that good news for others as well. Mm. you know and uh i think it's interesting too that you said about how like the way you way you think about the good news when you wrote this book is very different than the way you think about good news now yet you've still brought forward with you some of the things i think it's i think it's good for all of us to think and for our listeners as well to think about like you know 
our, our faith and our understanding of these things evolves and it, and it yeah. changes and it grows and you're likely not going to be next year where you are this year or five years down the road where you were 10 years ago. You know, it's constantly changing. And I think for myself, like when I think of the cross and I think of you know, like all those things surrounding the, the word atonement and all that baggage that kind of comes along with it. Like I don't think about the cross today the way I thought about it even a year ago when I right. was doing this podcast. And I certainly don't think about it the same way as I did 10 years ago when I was pastoring that church. Like it's just constantly changing. And I think there's such freedom in there. Uh, and I think that's such a, it relieves so much pressure. Well, I mean, I was thinking, you know, lately, like, what do I, what do I want my message to be? And I've always said when anybody's like, what's your message? And I'm like, my message is grace. Mm. Boom. And, you know, now I would say my message is, is I want people to think well. Yeah. You know, and I want grace to be intertwined in that. And it needs to be on your way there. But the more you read, the more theology you look at, the different philosophy you look at, even just the different fiction you listen to and the music you listen to and mm. the life experiences you, we evolve and we change and we learn so much and uh and 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 your understanding of the bible will evolve with that too as you have life experience and, and it's to be open to that don't fear it you know yeah. but to be open to that change and just realize that that's this amazing tapestry that we're a part of you know and that we continue to be a part of as another part gets sewn in and another part gets added and sometimes some stuff gets taken away yeah um but we don't ever arrive and i think that's a great place you know when you're when you're in an argument or you're in a theology theological argument you know it doesn't become so personal when you're all like i've arrived and this is the truth you right. know you're going in there going like no i'm not I don't hold the truth. So I'm here to listen, you know? Yeah. And, uh, it makes it pretty interesting. I mean, honestly, when I had my uh, nervous breakdown, um, so much changed about who I, how I know myself and who I am as a human being. And even the type of theology that I, and philosophy that I started to read and, and look into. And some of the stuff that I went back and embraced as well, you know, you just got, you know, it's, it, it, it there's such an addiction to certainty mm-hmm. in the church that yep. frightens me yeah um and, and it's devastating but i will say this to anybody who's making who feels uncomfortable listening to this right now and seems like we're just talking about just mishmash of stuff <laughs> is that you know i miss it too there is a great security in that certainty there is a reason that it's addicting there's a reason that some people stay stagnant in the same belief system for 20 or 30 years. I understand that it's, it, it, it feels safe and secure at times, yep. but I encourage people to walk over the chasm, chasm of doubt. I would even say walk over the chasm of disbelief mm. to find out what's on the other side. Yeah. Um, because what I found is, is, is something beautiful and something that lives life on life's terms. Mm. So when I say live well, I don't mean live happy. What I mean is live well and live life on life's terms. So that means with death. That means with being stuck in your house because of COVID. Mm. That means with losing your job or with gaining a marriage or losing a marriage, having a child, losing a child, that we learn to live life with all its ups and downs, that there's no idea of, oh, it's Jesus is going to make you happy and everything's going to get together and you're going to get that parking spot every Christmas at the mall. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, it, it's not these false promises, but it's, yeah. it's this thing of also like, we're going to learn how, you know, you stop scapegoating others and life doesn't become black and white. And there's more than conservative or, or progressive that, you know, life becomes greater than that. And, and you live and you live life well, even in the darkest moments. Hmm. You know, so, and then you're able to help other people when they go through those dark moments, you know, which is to me the greatest gift of of, of being able to find someone who's in the suffering that maybe I was a year ago and just talk and be like, yeah, I don't know if God's there or not either, man, but you know what? I'm here right now Yeah, and we're in this together. And you know where I found hope at all my gospels? Well, believe it or not, it was just Jesus being abandoned on the cross or Jesus sweating blood and not wanting to die. Yeah. One, two Easter's ago, that's what was my, my Easter sermon wasn't resurrection. And I told my church, I don't have room for resurrection in my life. Mm. And, uh, and that had to be my truth at the time. And I thought, I thought I was going to have no church left, uh-huh. you know, 
And I was really amazed by the response I got. Even to this point, people still respond to me saying like, you know, that's where I was at. I needed to be there. I needed to hear that. I needed to go. I needed the transparency. Mm. So don't be afraid to, to live, live, you know. Good insights. Um, I think I think one of the things too is, you, you know, you're a pastor. And I think, you know, your, your people know obviously you're the pastor. But I think we have, especially in America, we have this, this idea that the pastor has it all together. You know, the pastor... Yeah knows everything. The pastor is living his life in the best way possible. And he's got problems, but he has all the answers, you know, and I think <laughs> to see somebody stand up in the pulpit and say, yeah, and especially on Easter, like, I don't have room for resurrection in my life right now. Like it doesn't work. Or even to stand up and say, I don't, I don't know if there's a God. Like I'm just, I'm just really trying to figure this out. Like I think there's so much vulnerability there and you can make such a deep connection with people. So I think people respect that. Sure. And, I, and I'm grateful to have, people in my congregation who still enjoy my work and tolerate my work and are able to stick with me because honestly, I would not be able to do the, what I do without the fact of people saying, we're going to go through this with you. Yeah. yeah. You know? So some of those people are like, Oh, I can't believe you did that. And I was like, well, I can't believe you stayed. Right. You know, I mean, <laughs> the very here. fact <laughs> that you stayed and you're still here is how I did that. Then, you know, the fact that I'm not pumping gas, you know, at the super the seven 11 is because you stayed through this to see what was going to happen. Yeah. You know, so it it really is, is, is all of us in this together and growing together and having conversations and having hard conversations. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, sitting down with people who go, man, you're a heretic, but I'd much rather do that in person than online, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. Well, Jay, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, thank well, you thanks, again. Glenn. Thanks for taking the time to uh, talk to me. Before you go, where can people find you online? What's the best place to connect with you? Well, the best place. The best honestly, place. <laughs> the best place, silly enough, is Instagram. I yep. love Instagram. Okay. It's my, it's, I just, it's, it's an addiction and yep. I, I need to work on it. <laughs> um, but follow me there and you can DM me and stuff. I'll follow you back. Um, I love Instagram, Twitter. I'm on Twitter a lot more than I should be. I'm also on Facebook, but you can also go to Revolution Church, uh, revolutionchurch.com. Hear any of our sermons for free. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, they're free. And you can hear, you can meet the congregation and as every other talk. And every other, every service is every week, but then on Wednesdays we release and meet your congregation. So all that stuff's at revolutionchurch.com. Um, but yeah, you'll see me hanging out in social media. And then once this thing gets over, hopefully people will see me hanging out in other places too. Well, I'll put all the links to your stuff, uh, in the show notes and uh, maybe we could do this again sometime. I'd love to, man. I feel like we've got it. We, we've opened up just a small piece and I'd love to do another one with you. That would be if, great. If it, it happens. I'd love to. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Jay. You're welcome. Later, man. See ya. Trouble breathing just for goodness sake